everybody. This is Macaw Podcast Universe. The, the Macaw, Macaw Podcast, Podcast Universe. Universe. You always get that wrong. Yeah, sorry. Um, and uh, my name is Micah Macaw. My name is Jordan Macaw. And we exist to prove people wrong when they say... Sequels are never better than the originals. And if that, of course, is our mantra, if that's what we say every week and that's what we're here to explore, this might be our biggest episode ever. Mm-hmm. We're wrapping it up after this. Now I'm going to finish <laughs> the rest of the series. Um, because this is a movie that pretty much everyone agrees is better than the first movie. Mm-hmm. There, Of course, there are some people that think Star Wars 1977 is better than The Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. But widely, it's believed, like The Godfather 2, that this one is better. Mm-hmm. Um, see our series on The Godfather 2, or on Godfather, to see where we landed on that. Um, but I'm not going to make you hold your breath till the end of the episode. I am one of those people. I think this movie is better than Star Wars. I, I agree. I think it's better in a lot of ways. I agree. Um, and I think we're going to dive into all those mm-hmm. over the course of the next five and a half hours. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming. I'm just assuming. Yeah. So tell me about your experience with this movie. Same as the last movie. Don't know when was the first time I saw it. Just know that it's always existed in my life. Uh, so I've seen it a million times. It's uh-huh. good to know for sure that in Star Wars, A New Hope, the Death Star is destroyed. And then yes. in Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, Yoda is in that one. Yep. And Leia and Han kiss. And Luke trains to be a Jedi. Yes. Yes, you're getting there. You know, and you mentioning the Death Star, I have to make an amendment because in the previous episode, we talked about how many movies feature a Death mm-hmm. Star to some degree. And I thought there was a construction of the Death Star in this movie. Like it cut to. Oh, but, but there's not. That's in Return of the Jedi. Okay. Or I suppose there could be some special edition added material. But it's not in the theatrical version, which is the version that we watched. The despecialized editions you can look up online if you want to track those down. Um, I don't remember when I saw this first either, but the first sequence, I mean, I, the Hoth scene is so, uh, like tattooed on my brain. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if you talk to anyone, the Hoth scene like really sticks with people. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you agree with that or? Sure. I, mean, I don't know. You're asking someone who can't get the movie straight. So well, but that's what I mean. Like, person. like when I, when I was quizzing you on the movies, you were like, "Is that the one with the ice planet?" So it's like everybody it was knows. A shot in the dark. Yeah, but I I think that there's just like but s- I'm not something about wrong. the ice planet mm-hmm. that really sticks with people. It's such a interesting way to start the movie, mm-hmm. and it's so vastly different from anything we saw in the previous movie. Yep. I think it, and, and they haven't really gone to a planet that looks like hoth ever again they have gone to snow they have in the last jedi oh no they did in force awakens not force awakens they the did one with... the, in the star killer base is all snowy but it's forest yeah snow. but but when luke disappears oh that's that, not that... snow though remember it's uh salt oh yeah that's right that's yeah. right yeah but a similar vibe you're right uh, man, love when he they scrape into it though, and you see that yeah, it's red. It's great. That's cool. Um, so should we just dive? Let's dive. Okay. So 
I found out a lot of things about this movie that I have never, ever heard. Awesome. Can I say some things first? Yes, please. That we were talking about before? Yeah. So this movie famously, uh, famously Mark Hamill got in a, a bad car accident. And if you've seen the first movie and then you've seen this one and anything else he, he's in, you're like, whoa, he looks so different and yeah. beyond aging. Like he looks different. And I grew up being told that he was in a very bad car accident and had to get like facial reconstruction surgery. Yeah. So upon watching this, I wanted to look into that because I never have. Uh-huh. Is it fine that I'm talking about this now? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So he got in the car accident while filming the first movie. And for some parts of that movie, they do have to use a double. Okay. And then um, what happened was he was on the freeway and was going to miss his exit. So he tried navigating over four lanes of traffic, got in a bad car accident. Jeez broke his nose and i think his left cheekbone okay and i saw a quote from him saying that rumors have spread so widely that people have starting have have people have said that he has plastic surgery uh-huh. not and not cosmetically but to uh fix his face yeah apparently that's not true okay which is what I've always been told. Yeah. Which but, to I me, mean, it's like, that makes sense because he looks so different. He did sort of surgery, though. Is that correct? I mean, I don't know for sure. I'm just assuming that something was done to help mend his broken nose. Yeah. And I don't know what goes into mending a broken cheekbone, but I'm sure there's something. <laughs> yeah. I just know that he didn't get, like, reconstructive okay. surgery. No, like, skin grafts, like, that I, from what I saw. Yeah. So that was pretty interesting. I think that it did alter the way he looked a lot. I think yeah. pretty much whenever you break your nose, it your nose is never going to be the same. Uh-huh. Even if you fix it, I think. Yeah. Well, like a, in a really bad break, yeah. Yeah. So, um but it is wild. Uh-huh. It's wild how different he looks. Uh-huh. It, it it's like the most different I've ever seen a person from movie to movie and it's the same person. It's and so I think funny. I, it, I guess I just don't like track it that much. I, I, I don't know. A it's lot very of weird. It, um, I, I think a lot of it is just getting older. There's you know a couple years in between the movies, and he was pretty young when the first one came out, so he just aged. And then yeah. I think he also like put on muscle. Yeah, because Mark looks good in this movie. Well, he did. He did the classic thing that we talk about a lot, where he did like a bunch of like karate and sword fighting training. Cool for this and movie. So he's getting in good shape. And. I've always said this, that Mark Hamill in Star Wars, A New Hope, looks like Jodie Foster. <laughs> yeah, yes. And he and doesn't I've, look like her in the He does the next not two. look like her anymore. You're right. And okay. I have determined officially that if Jodie Foster and Mark Hamill had a baby, it would be Sebastian Stan. Yeah. Prove yes, me wrong. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just crazy that he doesn't look like her anymore. They don't look like twins anymore. <laughs> That's such a funny thing to say, though. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, so I wanted to bounce off of the, the car accident thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds like it's one of those things that, uh, uh, because it happened before he was famous, mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot of coverage. So there's a lot of like, there's, there's so much that has been either blown out of proportion or become like, you know, almost like folktale levels about this accident. And a lot, mm-hmm. some of it's not true and stuff. So like when you say, oh, there's no facial reconstruction surgery, I'm like, I grew up always thinking that. Like what? Yeah. You know, um, or maybe there is slight facial reconstruction, but he, like 
you know, it's just like they didn't have to like give him a new nose or like yeah, like I said, like I don't think there's like skin grafting or anything. Well, because like, like one thing I saw is, um, so so I had always been told. Let me rephrase this. I'd been told that the wampa scene at the beginning, where he gets hit in the face by the wampa was in order to make the audience be like, oh, okay, that's why he looks different. Yeah, That's not true. So there's yeah. a quote from George Lucas on the Blu-ray commentary, and he says, at the end of A New Hope, he, being Mark Hamill, had been in a car accident, and I knew Mark was going to look a little different than he was in the first film. My feelings and the time had passed. They've been in the rebellion, fighting, that kind of thing, so the change was justifiable. There's a scene in the film where Mark gets hit by a monster, which help uh, being the Wampa, which helps even more. But that wasn't really the meaning of why we wrote the monster in the beginning. We needed something to keep the film suspenseful at the beginning while the Empire is looking for them. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty interesting. Yeah, because I just I I was always like, oh yeah, that's why that happened. Yeah, me too. I feel like there's a lot of when movies are this big though. There are certain like facts that people say about it that just are not facts about it, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like it's like when we covered Mad Max, and there's that that mythic thing that Mel Gibson had been in a bar fight and showed up, and then he's all like bloody, and everyone's like, "Oh my gosh, this is Mad Max," and it just straight up didn't happen. Right. I think he did get in a bar fight, but like not to the degree in which yeah. it's it's not this legend. Yeah, yeah. But speaking of legends, mm-hmm. George Lucas. Comes out with this movie, Star Wars, and it's a huge hit. But before he did, he talked to this guy named Alan Dean Foster, who when we were in the bookstore, I was pointing out like, oh, I just read about this guy. Um, And he wrote the novelization of Star Wars. Got it. Uh, And that book was called Star Wars from the Adventures of Luke Skywalker. So Lucas talks to him before the movie comes out, and he says... "Um." I don't know if we're going to be able to make a sequel to this movie. So can you write a book that is the sequel to this movie, but it's low budget so we can get it adapted and we could like finish this story with a low budget sci-fi movie. Huh? And so he has him write this book called splinter of the mind's eye that comes out in 1978. And there's no Han Solo in the book because they didn't know if Harrison Ford would um, sign a contract for future movies. Um, and then there, I guess, like there was a draft that had this big dogfight in space, and Lucas was like, "Can you cut dog that fight? Uh, you know, like fighting in sp- like oh planes? Yeah, okay, yeah, uh, ships in this yeah, case, yeah, yeah. but yeah. So there's I'm this big dog, of two dogs fighting in space. <laughs> <laughs> so there's this big dog fight, and he's like, "Cut that because that's too expensive. We can't film that." Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I think this is a glimpse into George's mind a little bit. Hmm. I, I I don't think it's necessarily like uh, no integrity or like not artistic. That's a pretty smart, but it but it is a little more business minded than it is, it is artistic minded. Yeah. Um, and so the the story focuses on Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia who are marooned together on the world of Mimban where they encounter the locals and struggle against the forces of the evil galactic empire, including Darth Vader. This, so, you know, this isn't something that's been put to film. Yeah, obviously. it has not. It just feels like fan fiction at this point. Yeah, and I, 
that uh, that's funny that you mentioned that because I read the synopsis of the whole plot and um it kind of felt that way a little mm-hmm. bit. And I think part of that is like you know, Alan Dean Foster is playing in a world that isn't as established as it is now. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, so he's just trying to do that. But um I found that incredibly fascinating. Yeah, that's interesting. But it gets even crazier. So Lucas like if you'll remember in our previous episode, George Lucas has a terrible time directing Star Wars. He doesn't like directing it. He's like, I want to make this story. I want to keep making these. I would like to be the executive producer of this movie. And I think there are a lot of people that forget uh, that George Lucas does not direct episodes five or six, mm-hmm. being this movie and Return of the Jedi, um, and any of the new movies, of course. But he is like, I can't direct. I don't want to direct. But I have this quote from his wife at the time. Um, and this was in the uh, Easy Riders Raging Bull book. And she said, by the time George could afford to have a film facility, he no longer wanted to direct. Because at this time in film history, there's guys like Scorsese, Francis Ford Coppola, Steven Spielberg, and George Lucas. And they're all like, what if we could just do our own thing without studios interference? So she's commenting on that. Yep. Um, so now he has all this money. He can make his own films, basically. And she says, after Star Wars, he insisted, I'm never going to direct another establishment-type movie again. I used to say, for someone who wants to be an experimental filmmaker, why are you spending this fortune on a facility to make Hollywood movies? We edited THX in our attic. We edited American Graffiti over Francis's garage. I just don't get it, George. The Lucasfilm Empire, the computer division, ILM, the licensing and lawyers seemed to me to be this inverted triangle sitting on a P, which was the Star Wars trilogy. But he wasn't going to make any more Star Wars, and the P was going to dry up and crumble, and then he was going to be left with his huge facility with its enormous overhead, and why did he want to do that if he wasn't going to make movies? I still don't get it. Whoa. (laughs) That's a lot to unpack. No. That's pretty depressing, actually. Yeah. Because I do think... Well, so, so we'll, the I big think we'll thing get, that, yeah, The big thing please. that she's asking is he wants to do all have all of this independence but not really do anything with it from her perspective. That's how it feels. Yeah, yeah. And, and I th- she's obviously commenting on this. Um, I, I believe it's after Return of the Jedi and before The Phantom Menace she's saying this. Oh, okay. Um, when that's attributed. But... I just think, yeah, she's seeing this man who's like, I want to be independent. I want to make all these movies and do all this stuff. And then he makes two sequels and then he doesn't make any more movies and he just keeps producing stuff. Hmm. And so I can see how, you know, if you, if you bought, if we bought a, you know, a recording studio or something and I was like, yeah, I don't really want to make music anymore. I'll just like edit other people's music. Right. Be like, why did you do this then? What was the point of this whole thing? And I think we'll kind of come back around to that idea once we start getting into Force Awakens, because I think there's just a lot of George Lucas to unpack Mm -hmm. in the Disney deal. Um, But back to uh, the past here. Um, He's got the leverage. He's got Empire Strikes Back, and he says, Fox, um, how do we get this to go? I want to produce this movie, but I need someone to distribute it. 
So the original deal is Fox will produce, but in the contract, they get no creative input. Because George Lucas and... um, I'm forgetting the name, but I have it written here somewhere. And one of the other producers are paying for the movie. Mm -hmm. They're just distributing it. And um, so that's that section. What a deal. In a way, it's crazy because, of course, this is a huge movie, huge budget, but it is sort of a legitimate, like, independent film in Mm -hmm. a way. Um, So he approaches Irving Kirshner to direct the movie, um, who's done quite a few, like, a ton of movies. There was a couple that seemed really cool that I'd like to check out. Okay. Because I don't think I've seen any of his other movies. Um, uh, But he has, or it's Irvine Kirshner, I'm sorry. Um, he directed this movie called Eyes of Laura Mars, which is a supernatural thriller. And I just looked at the poster and I was like, I want to watch that. And then he directed this movie called Film Film Flam or Flim Flam Man that has George C. Scott in it. Who is That's where um, a movie called The Flim Flim Flam Man came out last year. Really? Yeah, starring Sean Penn and his daughter. And I think directed by Sean Penn. What? Mm-hmm. Oh. Well, it must be a based on a true story. Never mind. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, that one looked fun. Comedy. Yeah. Um, but he originally is like, I don't want to do it. Like, and this is our podcast. He's like, sequels aren't better than the originals. Like, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'll be setting myself up for failure. Um, but then he was, quote, I was grabbed by the fairy tale, which Lucas invented and wanted to be a part of keeping it alive. Um. I like to fill up the frame with the characters' faces. There's nothing more interesting than the landscape of the human face. And so he signs on to direct, which is great. And of the six movies, I think he's the best director. Mm-hmm. Um, he just has, I, I mean, I don't know how much uh, you noticed, but I think his his movement, his choice of colors, and the emphasis on characters. This movie looked really good. Yeah. And Star Wars looks great, mm-hmm. but it is, it's kind of nuts how much better this movie looks. Mm-hmm. This movie is a huge upgrade yes. in quality. Part of that is they're a little more sure of themselves, but yeah. I, a lot of it is the director. Yeah. Um, and he's moving the camera a lot more. Yeah. And and there's there's moments, like a moment that uh, we'll talk about later, where like the camera movements are so deliberate that that the movement sticks in my mind. Oh, okay. I, I don't necessarily have that with the first movie. Yeah. I remember the scenes, but I, I don't really remember like how the camera moves too much. Yeah. Uh, besides a couple of the iconic shots, of course, like mm-hmm. hyperspace and the trench run. But anyway, um, but I did not know about this, and this is a this is a bummer. Like, what if scenario that we can just think about and dream about? Irving Kirshner did say. Irvine Kirshner, I'm sorry. Uh, he did say, I would have been up for directing one of the prequels had those movies been made earlier. Wow. And that is a... That that was almost sad to well, read Well, I am that. interested about that. I For me, in the prequels, I feel like their biggest issues are the material, not the direction from my memory, uh-huh. right? Because it's been a couple years since I've seen them. Yeah. So I am... I would definitely be interested to see if someone what would be like if someone else made it, but I don't think the directing was necessarily the biggest issue. Yeah. 
I don't know. From my memory. And and I, I think George may have had so much power that whoever's, even though this movie, by a lot of accounts, it is George like calling all the shots. Uh-huh. Well, not by all accounts. That's what happened. He gets to call the shots. But uh, I don't know if Irvin, I just looked up his name. It's There's no E at the end. It's Irvin. Okay. Uh, if he came back and did a prequel, I don't know if he would have the freedom that he had on this movie mm-hmm. even, which is not even as much freedom as you might expect. Mm-hmm. Um, but now we're getting into another one of the big facts that kind of blew me away. Uh, do you have any actors you want to do what before yeah. I do this? Okay. Hit me with those actors. Okay. So, uh, we have Bruce Boa, who was the the rebel general general in Hoth. He is also in Full Metal Jacket, Octopussy, Screamers, and a million other things. Well, I I specifically asked for him because he he felt like he was a famous person. No, he he was good. Yeah, <laughs> and then Boba Fett is uh played by Jeremy Bullock. Uh, he also is in Episode Three, playing Captain Colton. Oh, that's Apparently. cool. Um, and then he is also in Octopussy, and then he's in Law and Order, and tons of 80s TV shows. Okay. And that's... Oh, you're going to save. Yeah. Okay. So I had always thought that this movie was Lawrence Kasdan and George Lucas. Story, screenplay, however that breaks down. Uh, which is part of why it was so exciting when they announced... Force Awakens, they're like, Lawrence Kasdan is one of the writers on this movie. Oh, okay. It's like, oh my gosh, they got him back? But there's a third person who is billed above Lawrence Kasdan. And that is a woman named Lee Brackets, who is the, quote, queen of space opera. She was an author, and she made these, like, uh, it seems like some people call them pulpy, some people do not like sci-fi romance novels. Wow. Where it would be like um, uh, Mars appears as a marginally habitable desert world populated by ancient, decadent, and mostly humanoid races because they would take place in her own like universe. Mm -hmm. Uh, Venus, a primitive wet jungle planet occupied by vigorous primitive tribes and reptilian monsters. So she would kind of combine uh, elements of her other worlds with fantasy elements. Yeah. And so George Lucas says, hey, I would like you to write this story outline I have. I'd like you to write it. And she goes, sure. And she writes what will be the first screenplay that becomes The Empire Strikes Back. Mm -hmm. And for years, there's only, okay, maybe this happened in it. We don't really know. But in 2016, they published the screenplay, and you can read it. Oh. And here is what I'm going to read about it. Uh, In this draft, there was a love triangle between Luke, Leia, and Han Solo. That's still pretty much there. Um, Yoda was named Minch. Luke has a hidden sister named Nelith. Uh, Lando Calrissian was known as Lando Kadar. Luke's father was... K-Dog. What? K-Dog. You meant K-Dog. K-Dog. Yeah. Uh, I didn't mean that, but uh, (laughs) I kind of like it. Um, Luke's father was still a distinct character from Darth Vader and appears as a force ghost on Dagobah. 
And also, Han Solo at the end of the script is leaving to search for his uncle, Ovin Merrick, the most powerful man in the universe after the Emperor Palpatine. Whoa, what a different script. <clears throat> really different, but there's still some juice that's in there. Mm -hmm. But of course, I don't know, and I don't think anyone will ever know, especially because George Lucas is a little revisionist in his history, We'll never know what did he tell her originally and what, like, him sent her writing, Luke has a secret sister. Is that something George was like, yeah, I want this in there? Or did she do that? He reads it, and whether he forgets it or not, when he's writing episode six, he's like, oh, secret sister. Yeah. And maybe that's actually her that did that. Yeah. Um, The love triangle was, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff in there that, I, I we don't know what George told her to write. Yeah, and how much of that is 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 she responsible for? Mm -hmm. Um, but George uh, asked her to write a screenplay. Um, and she delivered to him delivered it to him shortly after her death. So she did not deliver it to That's, him. No, <laughs> no. Her ghost appeared appeared to him in a spectral <laughs> form with the, the the script in hand. <laughs> Handed it to him and then disintegrated and, and went beyond. Yes. That was her final thing that she needed to finish. Well, it, she actually had to do a bit more because if I, if I was reading my research right, when she, after she handed him the screenplay, she said, now you will be visited by th these ghosts three, the past, future, and yeah. or present and future be. No, because he would have learned something about himself and what's, what could come. Uh -huh. And well, as we know, Lucas did not—he did not see the future. <laughs> I don't know if he would have done th certain things if he was—if the curtain was pulled back a little bit for him. I don't know. Maybe he saw that future, and he was like, "Wow, the struggling artist, starving future is not the future I want. Let me do that future where I get that." That's mun. also a good point. Yeah. But having said that, I think we have a lot to owe to our good friend. George Lucas. Um, but George Lucas gets the draft and he rejects it. And then he hires someone who he's been spending a lot of time with, this guy Lawrence Kasdan, because Lawrence Kasdan is one of the screenwriters on Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm. And him, uh, Spielberg, and Lucas were making that after they were making Star Wars. The first one. Yes, the mm -hmm. first one. Um, so the, the budget of this movie... So originally, George and Kurtz, who is the producer, uh, they put up $18 million mm -hmm. to make this movie. But it keeps growing like crazy. Oh, I'm sure. And I, I believe the final budget is somewhere in the, like, it, it's, I think it's like $30.5 million. Okay. Um, and here's something else to read about the, uh, the budget of this movie. The huge budget overruns nearly sank Lucas. Stretched to the breaking point, he was forced to take a bank loan, and worse, was humiliated by having to beg Fox to guarantee the loan. In exchange, Fox insisted on renegotiating the deal that we talked about earlier. Uh, still, he came out with $430 million. Yeah, $430 million. I, I was like, did I read that right? That sounds too big. Uh, he came out with $430 million worth of tickets worldwide, recouping his $33 million in only three months. 
So it was actually 33 million. And finally achieved his dream, financial independence from the studios. Mm-hmm. <sighs> that is such a large amount of money. That's so insane. Mm-hmm. Uh, domestically, the movie makes 292 million, and worldwide, it makes 549 million. Uh, hit us with another actor. Uh, Billy D. Williams plays Lando Calrissian. Uh, he is also, uh, I think we mentioned him while covering Tim Burton's Batman. Uh, yeah, he I plays bet we Harvey did. Dent, but I don't know if we covered him, covered him. He's also not in it very much. I think we did. He also plays Two-Face in Lego Batman. So how fun is that? That's guys? so cool. Cause he, he had said that he was like really disappointed that he, that never happened. Mm-hmm. Well, it happened. That's for him. so sweet. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's so great. And then he reprises his role as Lando in all Lego Star Wars stuff and video games and even in Family Guy. Wow. And he's an NCIS. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> and then Frank Oz. Was that oh, an Owen Wilson? Wow. I just did. I think I think I did. <laughs> Pretty close to it. Uh, Frank Oz plays Yoda. He yeah, is he a is. big Muppet guy. Yeah, he's a big he Sesame Street guy. He was in Knives Out. He was in Inside Out. He was also in Monsters Inc. He's in Monsters Inc. He played the character Fungus. Wow. Don't know who that is, but I bet they ruled. He's uh, also directed quite a few movies. Yeah. Directed a movie that I think we talked about on this podcast uh, Bowfinger. Yeah. Uh, which is, if you want a good laugh riot and a nice old, like, 90s comedy. Really funny movie. Man, it's really funny. Eddie Murphy is just locked. Mm-hmm. Seeing him cross the freeway is so freaking hilarious. So, okay. So, Lawrence Kasdan is one of the writers on the movie. And I just wanted to point this out. He wrote The Bodyguard. And that's the script that he's... I'll, I'll get to it. Jordan's giving me, a, I don't know, The Bodyguard, uh, the Kevin Costner, um, Whitney Houston movie. Okay. The, I've never seen that. I... Oh, okay. That's what that's from. Uh, but he originally wrote that in 1975. Wow. And it became a movie in 1992. Wow. Yeah. So if you're trying to write a screenplay or a book or something, folks, maybe it'll just take 20 years to get it out there. <laughs> Uh, the cinematographer is Peter Suchitsky, who did Rocky Horror Picture Show, Naked Lunch, Man in the Iron Mask, and A History of Violence, amongst many others. The movie comes out May 21st, 1980, and then let's talk about a couple of the fun facts about the movie. Okay. Now, this movie has insane special effects, mm-hmm. and you can look up a lot of the craziness behind that. I think as we go, I might get into a few of them, but it's just insane to note that they are basically doing uh, CGI. I mean, they are doing some CGI in this movie, but they're like doing things that we will do, but in a click of a button now. Because mm-hmm. I was watching one of the effects supervisors talking, and they were showing that sequence when they first go through the asteroid field and he dodges the asteroids, and how. They'll have a plate where it's like it's like the matte painting in the background that has all the stars and all the asteroids. Then they shoot one where there's one asteroid going by. Then they shoot another one with like two or three, in a and at different like some are in the background, some in the foreground. And then they shoot the Millennium Falcon and its movement. 
And then they have to take all of those images and composite them all on top of each other. Whoa. So that there's actual depth and it looks like he's weaving through actual mm-hmm. asteroids and stuff. That's it's fun. just crazy. I feel like that involves a lot of math. Yeah. And um and and it was cool seeing how big the matte paintings are that they do. They do them on these big glass sheets. Yep. Um and you know, they're like four feet like wide Mm -hmm. and a couple feet tall and they just look amazing Mm -hmm. one of the really cool ones because i just thought whoever made this decision was a genius because it's it's when they arrive on the millennium falcon to bespin the cloud city and it's this over the top shot and you can see the cloud city and the Millennium Falcon, which are in the matte painting, the hallway is the only thing where the actors are at. Mm-hmm. But they add the Millennium Falcon shooting mist, so it looks like oh. it's a part of the painting. Yeah, so smart. Yeah. Um, but yeah, one one thing, all the all the documentaries and stuff that I watched about the movie, it seemed like Kirshner had a tough time, but a good time mm-hmm. making the movie. But there is this quote in Easy Rider's Raging Bull where he says. It's amazing. I direct these actors, then I send the footage to California and find out what the scene is about. Which is a little like that's like the that's like the um the classic thing with Star Wars though, right? Like even in the prequels, there are like actors saying, like, I have no idea what I was doing. It's crazy. That is so crazy. Um Alec Guinness could not return. Um, as Obi-Wan because of his failing eyesight. He couldn't be around bright lights. So they were like, maybe we should recast him. But then he agreed to a deal in August of 1979. And I think they just filmed him in front of like a blue screen. Yeah. And and composited him in. Or just used like special lighting and stuff so they weren't like hurting him. Um, But Guinness was paid 0.25% of the box office. Wow. Gross. So that's crazy. Um... I I've never known about this. Uh, if you watch the 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 special editions, you will see that they have now put the actor who plays the emperor in all the other movies as the emperor. Um, but if you watch the originals, it shows this old, very strange looking image, um, and that always confused me as a kid because when you get to the next one, they don't even look alike at all. Um, so I you know they just didn't know what they were doing quite yet with that character. But um, the voice is someone named Clive Revel. And then it's always been cited that this woman, Marjorie Eaton, was behind this mask that Rick Baker made. Oh, weird. This crazy mask. Um, And I think Marjorie Eaton is somehow involved in it still. But recently, in like 2014, we found out that Elaine Baker the wife of Rick Baker is the person who's on screen and the mask is in front of Baker again. He is, um, like an all time, uh, 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 special effects, like, um, practical. I'm totally blanking like prosthetics. Okay. Prosthetics, um, in movies and stuff. So he worked on star Wars. He worked on Empire Strikes Back. If you, if you look through his filmography, you're like, Oh, he did all of this insane Mm -hmm. stuff that I love. Mm hmm. So his wife is behind the mask in the movie. And people have not known that for years. Weird. So that is like only recent knowledge. So I thought that was super fun. Mm-hmm. And 
I was excited to learn about that. When did this movie come out again? Um, where was it? It came out in 1980. Okay. May. Um, but yeah, I, I'd have to look back up what the Marjorie Eaton thing is and her involvement. I, I can't remember off the top of my mm-hmm. head. Um, the Wampa actor is a guy named Des Webb, and he is seven foot four. And you said he was wearing stilts. Two and a half foot stilts. And if you want to laugh, uh, uh, just a belly full of laughter, if you want <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, yeah. you got to look up him walking around in the snow, the seven foot man in full costume and two and a half feet stilts walking in snow and slowly falling down face first (laughs) a lot it is so funny you know it's so i watched one documentary that was like hosted by mark hamill on like how we made it and it had like goofy music behind him as he's falling and it's like boing you know as he's (laughs) falling and stuff like that but then i watched this other one um, that was another documentary that was longer and was, was a little more um, just like, this is what we're doing right now. This is what we're doing right now. And in that one, seeing him fall over and seeing the cast like running without the funny music, it didn't, it seemed more like, oh, this guy's in danger. That's what it does look like. But, <laughs> but, but also with the fun falling, music, it's like, <laughs> but also he's falling very slowly. I know, I know. <laughs> it's really funny, but. Uh, I mean, he's fi- he was fine. Yeah, I don't know if he's still with us. He was or probably not, just but... really uncomfortable. Yeah. Um. So I also I was curious, like, when did when did it became come known to the public that this was like not just one or two movies? Uh-huh. This is like a big series. Uh-huh. And if you'll notice at the beginning of this movie, even though we're watching the special or the the theatricals. It, it says, says episode, episode five. five. That was there mm-hmm. in the trailers, or I mean, in the movies in 1980. Mm-hmm. So, he, so already in 1980, George Lucas is calling his shot and being like, "Yeah, we're just on episode five. Mm-hmm. which is, I cannot think of another example like that. That's insane. Mm-hmm. That is an insane thing to do. And then I watched the trailer of this movie, like the old first trailer. And it is, there's an emphasis on like, it's the continuing adventures of Han Solo, Leia, and Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker as they continue through these legendary, there's just like this, oh, this is just another chapter. Mm -hmm. They're like already basically saying that. Mm -hmm. I just thought it was fascinating because I've always been a little confused about how, like when that became a known thing. Yeah. So you told me that yeah. when this movie came out, it was uh, not well received. I did not say that. It you was, said it was mediocre. No, it was mixed. Mixed. Yeah. So some people were riding high. Some people were riding low. Okay. People. Some people criticized the dark tone. <laughs> um, but it did even have like a section that's like, uh, like the movie was later reevaluated. And so, so yeah. Do you know around when that was? I'm not sure. I mean, I think the 90s. Okay. But, but I think, you know, the movie was a hit. Mm -hmm. It still did well. But I think, I think comparably, funny enough, I think comparably, The Last Jedi is maybe probably similar to what would have been experienced then, where it's like some people were like, this is the best of the Star Wars, like, this is as good as it gets, and other people were like, this is an absolute betrayal of what I liked in the previous movie. Mm -hmm. So, which leads me to wonder where that movie, The Last Jedi, will eventually land. Yeah. 
because I bet the people who didn't like Empire Strikes Back are pretty probably conveniently forget that they didn't like it. Yeah. You know, another little key to George Lucas is he literally says in some of the behind the scenes that editing is the real magic. Mm -hmm. And he says that he's not really he, he loves the technical and he's not as much into the directing. So he would rather edit and like be a part of the technical aspects of the filmmaking. Okay. Which again, I think those seeds grow to what we know as the prequels. Oh yeah. I was thinking about going back and editing, adding things to these movies too. Oh, Oh yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. I think like the tinkering and mm -hmm. why he can never be satisfied. I think a lot of that goes to just how he views these. Yeah. As like, he's always working on them. Um, but what I, I had no idea. Um, but he, he visited the set two or three times while they That's were filming it? the movie. And the other times, cause they're filming it in London. And then I, I can't remember where they filmed the ice stuff, but like a lot of the sets were in London. Yeah. And there's some other places as well, but Lucas is getting the film shipped to him daily. That's wild. So it's getting flown to him daily. So I suppose he could be like, hey, you should reshoot this thing. Like it doesn't look quite right or something. But I mean, he's just, he's hanging out in San Francisco while they shoot this movie. You, That's are, crazy. Are I'm looking up the. Um, where Hoth was filmed? Yeah. You got it? Norway. Norway. Very cool. Yeah. So uh, on a glacier. I would hope so. That I can't pronounce the name of. <laughs> Got some til tildes and some little When the, the O's lines through the O. Oh, yeah, yeah. What is that called? I have no idea. Um, anyway. But yeah, so, so that just kind of speaks to how much he really didn't direct the actual movie. Yeah. Um, but of course, he's pivotal to the story and the yeah. plot. Um, but then I, I did read... That he eventually did come and apparently stayed for the rest of filming, but I couldn't find like exact dates and stuff. Sure. So I, I'm like, kind of just the last week. Well, it or or it sounded like he came in July, and I can't remember when they started. And okay. it sounded like they were finishing stuff up, but then it sounds like there was a lot of stuff they had to go back and uh -huh. reshoot, or or uh -huh. just wasn't quite right, or whatever. And I don't know if he stayed for all that, even though it said he stayed for all that, uh -huh. you know. I, I was reading too, like there's this whole section where it's just people all like the producers, George Lucas, the re director, everyone's blaming everyone else for why the budget is over budget. Yeah. You know, I have no idea what the actual aspect of is of it is. But now I think we can jump in to the Empire Strikes Back. Okay. Uh the movie begins as they all do. And in this crawl, there's a really key sentence that I looked into. And like, if this movie came out today and it, it says this sort of thing, I'm going to start foaming at the mouth. And it says that they are on a remote ice world. <laughs> I'm hooked already. Yeah. So they're on Hoth. They're on Hoth. Uh, it's a new rebel base or another rebel base that the Empire does not yet know about, but there are uh drones released to search for the the new base yeah. and uh it says that darth vader is obsessed with getting luke skywalker yes he is there's there's a great like side uh, uh story in this which is the admiral in this movie admirals 
admirals. Plural? But I mean specifically the one that gets like um, the, the promotion, basically. There's like three that get promotions. But there's like one main guy who keeps on like going up the ranks the whole movie. Okay. And um, I guess we'll kind of get into that as we go along. But it's those little details that like put this above a lot of other Star Wars movies. Having like... It just feels like all the Empire stuff is it, they have their own little stories going throughout mm-hmm. the whole movie, and then this movie has so many other little. Well, stories. that's what I always I thought was such a great idea in Force Awakens, where one of the main characters is a clone. Yeah, well, he's not a clone, but I, a well, I know, but oh, sorry, that you're yeah, a, a stormtrooper. Yeah, yeah, and that was one of the more interesting aspects of that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so. We see our main character, Luke, and he's on a Tauntaun. One of the coolest creatures. Very, very cool. Love the design. Love how it moves. Yeah. Great. And it was crazy watching them shoot this because any of the, you know, of course, any of the shots where it shows the full Tauntaun, it's it's uh, stop motion. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy. I I never thought of this watching it, but it's also like the rider is stop motion and they have to move him in a certain way mm-hmm. so that it all just, and it looks really good. I think it looks good too. It looks really good. I mean, it's charming as well. Um, But then he's like immediately hit by the Wampa, right? Well, what is he doing out there? Him and Han are both out there. Are they looking for drones because they're aware of them out there or are they just looking for any sign of the Empire detecting them, like doing surveillance? Well, he, I think that they pick up something on the scanner, which is those drones. And okay. several of them are shot through. Because Luke, Luke is like looking through his binoculars and he's like, hey, I'm just going to check out this last one. That's right. But there's like no signs of life, so I'm not worried about it. Yeah, and then Han makes it back, but then Luke gets captured by... A Wampa. A Wampa. Yeah. And uh, the Wampa's freaking cool. It's pretty gnarly that he gets him in the face. Yeah. And then... Yeah, the the so it's like basically the first act until they get off of Hoth. Uh-huh. It's like just a lot of tension. <laughs> yeah. Cuz like Han makes it back and immediately you we are introduced to him and Leia have a uh like mean to each other relationship because they both like each other. Yeah. Thing that um I don't know, I really like it. Yeah. It's really, it's, it's, we were kind of talking about while watching it that those, those tropes of relationships are just usually really annoying. I know. But I don't know if, if it's like the, just the nostalgia for me of why it works. I mean, that their acting is really good, of course, as well. I, th- but I, it's good. It I works. mean, there's definitely nostalgia involved. Uh-huh. But the fact that like this is still so beloved a movie and no one ever says like the love triangle sucks, that's never a complaint about it. Um, Although I don't really hear any complaints about this. It's barely a love this. triangle. Yeah. Yeah, I guess because pretty soon <laughs> Luke's kind of out of the picture. Yeah. But I I think the Han will they, won't they with Leia, I just think that the directing's great. The writing is simplified enough without mm-hmm. going to Attack of the Clones, shall we say, with the like soap opera nature of it. And then I, I really think Carrie is so good. And Harrison is so good that they really, they just sell it. Yeah. And I think it all culminates in the moment where he says, I know. I know. Which is like the ultimate, like, like it's like the perfect estimation of Han Solo and Princess Leia. And is it true that that was improvised? We will talk about it when we get to that scene. I'm saving that note. 
But yeah, they are just, they have a bunch of banter. Luke's not back yet, but there's still some time. They're still waiting for him to come back. But just very quickly, it's like, okay, something's not right. And this is a planet where once it gets to a certain time of the day, you can't survive out there, <laughs> which is cool. And it's it's cool because it, they're planting these seeds uh, where, you know, Han in the last movie says this too, but this one, he's like, I, I have to go. I have a debt to pay Jabba the Hutt. That's right. Han is also leaving and that's that's why Leia is mad at him. Yeah. Because he is leaving. And so he's like, I, I got to go to Jabba the Hutt. Yeah. Now, would it surprise you to know that there was an extended sequence that I believe was written, written by Lee Brackett that did become filmed where the Wampa attacked the rebel base. Oh. And there are deleted scenes. Oh, interesting. Where you can see the Wampa breaking into the rebel base. Fun. There's So you know that shot in the hallway, like when we first see Han and Leia, and they walk down, and it's like, where are you going? That There's an alternate shot where the camera turns... And some snow falls off, and you see this hand, like, pawing at the ice. And then later, the Wampa, like, breaks in. I don't know if it's the same one or if it's just, like, Wampas everywhere. Uh And then there's, like, a final one where C-3PO knocks off a sign on a door. And it hits him in the head. Well, no, it's, like, I guess the sign must have said, like, don't enter or something. And then, then, like... Oh, the Wampas go in there... (laughs) <laughs> no, 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 oh, no, no. Okay. <laughs> like then the storm. <laughs> the, the, it's like because we don't even know if they're intelligent enough to read, so who no, cares no. about the sign? <laughs> <laughs> so C three PO rips off this sign that presumably says like "Don't go in this room." Yep. And then the stormtroopers and Darth Vader look, and now that the sign's down, they press a button, and the Wampa grabs the stormtrooper, and Darth Vader just is like, "Okay, whatever," and they just keep walking. Oh, weird. It makes sense that it's cut. Uh-huh. It's kind of fun. I, I think the main reason they cut it is the longer shots of the Wampa just don't look very good. Okay. It's very much like that's a guy in a costume. Okay. Yeah. Um so one thing that that always surprises me because I just haven't seen the theatrical as much as the special edition from the nineties is that when Han, uh, when Luke is in the cave, and we have the great scene where he's he's has the ice around his feet, and he goes, he's upside down. Yeah, he uses the force, grabs his lightsaber, which I think is the first time we see the force pull something like that. I don't think in um, Obi Wan and Kenobi didn't do anything. I don't believe he did. He just well, he did in uh, the hallway of the Death Star. He like made something make a sound to distract someone. Yeah. But he pulls a lightsaber, which is thrilling. Mm-hmm. Gets out. Get, go on with what the 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 added thing though, but that you're talking about. Yeah, do you know what I'm talking about though? Yeah, where they cut to the Wampa and he is like eating somebody. Yeah, and it's grizzly and fun and. I think he's eating the Tauntaun. Oh, I think you're right. Yeah, and there's like blood dripping on him, and then he's mm-hmm. walking, and the scene is longer in the special edition. And I know we get we get mad about the special editions, but I do think the special edition scene is better. It's mm-hmm. a little more tense, and you see the Wampa longer. And in, in the other one, he he gets out really quick because they, they can't show the Wampa that much because yeah. it looks so fake. But yeah, he is hanging upside down. He does use the force to get his lightsaber that's yeah. feet away from him, without not within reach. And it is really great reintroduction of this whole force thing. Oh, absolutely, yeah. brought up in the last movie, but we don't really know what's, what it is at all. Yeah. So that, I thought, was really great. 
and he he gets out cuts off the arm of the wampa gets out and is just stumbling through the snow not really sure what's going on yeah and is about to pass out but han finds him just in time and stuffs him inside his wampa it's tauntaun or tauntaun that i it, it is a nice touch when they do these in movies like the tauntaun like had already been injured or like it already died or something yeah like something it, like, happened it falls it, over yeah and so it's basically han didn't have to kill it yeah yeah <laughs> but um they they make it through the night yeah and and an important thing to note is before that he has a vision of obi-wan who's saying you need to go to the dagobah system mm-hmm. and there you will meet yoda and he will teach you the ways of the force he's going old oh, ben ben what's so good about the han thing too so he wants he needs to leave to go to jabba because of his debts and him and leia are fighting about it everyone's worried about luke and it's like han yes he's you know more of the selfish character yeah it's like whatever his interest is that he's thinking about first but he is that that classic like anti-hero where at the end of the day he's like i'm gonna go find my friend yeah because it's what i need to do it's the right thing to do absolutely and and not to get just totally stuck in the first sequence of this movie forever but I, I did reference earlier, like one the, the shot, one of the shots that sticks most with me, camera movement in this whole series, is when, you know, C three PO's like the odds of surviving out in this cold are a billion and whatever to one. But R two's been wrong before. He shows a little humanity, which I love. Mm-hmm. And then they're closing the gate and locking the door, and the camera just pans in on Carrie Fisher as the lighting is changing. And it's such a, you see this like desperation where she's like, Luke is going to die. And, and the way the camera moves and stuff, it's like, that's why this movie is better. I think than start the first movie. Yeah. It gets the emotion a little bit more. Like that is such an emotional shot that conveys so much more. Mm -hmm. And then of course, Chewie goes, Oh gosh. And it's cool seeing that he's like an emotional creature too, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. we didn't really see in the first one. (laughs) Yeah he kind of breaks my heart in this movie the stuff that they do in this too it is just like it's great character i not even it's just character notes and flavors yeah uh and a little bit of world building that i love that they do in this movie in particular is for the whole movie the millennium falcon is like on its last leg like they are constantly fixing it throughout the movie so for one that's cool for two especially in this first part of the movie whenever they're working on it They'll, they'll try to make it to work. It bursts into flames. Uh-huh. So they didn't do something right. Or Chewie was doing something and Han starts yelling at him. And he's like, no, 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 you're not doing it right. Or something like that. I just all those little little things yeah. just were so great. Like like characters understanding other languages and no subtitles needing well, to be used. Well, it's also like understanding how this ship works. Like I, I don't understand how this ship works. Yeah. I don't need to understand, but I, I understand that they understand it. And right. it's fun watching them work on it, even though I don't know what they're doing. Yeah, like like that moment when they're escaping and Han is like, no, Chewie, not the red one, the blue one, yeah. this one, or whatever he says. And yeah. you're like, yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. It just feels real and lived in. Mm-hmm. Um, the Hoth set is unbelievable. Yeah, it looks great. It's amazing. Um, when they were filming out here, they had to have like different lighter what what was it they had to keep the snow off of the lenses mm-hmm. um 
and they had to condition the cameras for deep freezes and use a thin oil to run them. Wow. Um, instead of like, a, I guess they used to use oil to run cameras. So they used a thinner oil. What? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, because the guy's like, it was a thinner oil. And then they have to use heaters as well. So they don't freeze. Yeah. And then they have to prevent the film from snapping. Yeah. <laughs> because it would, it would freeze. So <laughs> it's like, that is just insane. We start hearing the Han and Leia theme introduced in this movie, which is mm-hmm. some gorgeous John Williams work. He's nominated again for an Oscar on this one. Um, okay. So Han yeah. and Luke make it back. It's the next yeah. day. They're found and they make it back. Yay, we're all so great. And uh, Luke is being treated for his wounds and Leia and Han are fighting again. And yes. Han is saying like, well, it's because you like me. Yeah. You know, he's he's claiming that she likes him and she she's going to miss him. That's why she's so mad about mad at him. And then she she's just goes over. Right. Yeah, and she goes over to Luke and kisses him passionately to prove to Han that she doesn't like Han. Yeah, which is one of those scenes as we since we know their brother and sister, it's like, ew. <laughs> <laughs> um and also that cool robot that has him in the back to tank is cool. Yeah. And he's the back to tank awesome. is and, cool. Oh, and it is just like, take care, Master Luke. Yeah. Like, just like, a, I don't know. All the robots are so nice. I mean, C-3PO is not, but he is. Right, right. And and uh, yeah, that that's the kind of stuff that Star Wars does best, mm-hmm. where you just see something. You don't need to know how it works or whatever. It's like, yeah, that makes sense. He's bathing in a thing. That mm-hmm. heals him. I get it. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the Empire with with Darth Vader are up in their ships, and we begin this kind of secondary storyline mm-hmm. where one guy is like, he's like the runner of the ship, and he's going, yeah, this this scout droid like saw something, but it's probably nothing. And then Darth Vader goes, yeah, that's that that could be it. Like, I want us to check it. Or no, no, um, the, another admiral's like, we should check that out. Mm-hmm. And he goes, no, we can't check them all. And then Darth Vader walks over and he's like, that's it. And then he chokes and kills the guy. And then the guy that he didn't choke and kill who made the right decision is kind of like, okay, yeah, I guess I'm running this now. And then for the rest of the movie, he's kind of struggling with this, like, I'm trying to please you and do the right thing, but I'm I'm a sliver away from death But the not whole the rest movie. of the movie. He gets killed. No, he does not. Yes, he kills like three people. But they're they're different people. They're different admirals. He was more than one he's, admiral. He's killing people on other ships. He is. How were you? How would you possibly know that? Because I was I was actually like paying attention to that storyline specifically. How do you know that he's on a different ship though? Do they call it this is ship one and now I'm on ship two? No, because they call in and they say Lord Vader, we missed it. We missed this. Oh, sh-. is this the hologram part? Yeah. Okay. Okay. And okay. then um and then I think there's another. I, I took notes on it, so when we get there, I'll we'll know. But I... If this was The Office, I'm looking into the camera right now. <laughs> I'm jimming it. But I, I just love that whole thing that he has to work with the whole movie. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just good writing. Yeah. Um. So then we have what is potentially... <laughs> we're dog-sitting, and the dog that we are sitting is crazy, and he was he's just very, itching the bottom of his paw. He's very clingy, so you can't just leave him in another room. <laughs> Right, Pippin? So now we have the climactic 
battle and potentially the best. Sorry, hold on. I I pet his head. Put my hand down and look at he put his paw on my hand like he's holding my hand. Can you tell? Oh, he took it off. I could I could tell. <laughs> now he's itching his ear. I'm leaving all of this in yeah. the episode. Okay, <laughs> so now we have what maybe is the best like battle sequence in the series, potentially. I I would maybe nominate it. I think it's oh yeah the yeah. most memorable and the most talked about. I think really. I think, but okay. I'm not positive um and that is the hoff battle sequence where they drop the atat walkers i don't see them drop them when do they do that oh no i'm just like okay i'm I'm assuming that they did okay um and then they have those are based on elephant movements they studied elephants oh what that's wild dude how did you know did you have to look that up it was in the behind the scenes they look like elephants yeah Um, they base their movements on them too okay um Sorry, that's uninteresting, I guess. No, just... So they're walking toward the base. Can't I razz you about something? <laughs> Not Star Wars. <laughs> they're walking toward the base. It's going... They're basically indestructible. Yeah. And we have, like, the whole all the rebels, and they're all in white, like, blending in with the snow. They also, but the dudes flying stuff are in orange. Yes, they're in orange. And they have those crazy... I forget what those are called. Those ships? Yeah, those little ships, and they're flying around, and they're, like, shooting, you know, a a, a, a cable around to make the walker fall down, and yep. then shooting it and exploding it. Yep. Um, Luke's co-pilot is quickly murdered, mm-hmm. and... So here's the question about how it works, kay. the ship, because they're both facing opposite directions. Yeah. Can the ship fly in either di- direction? No, Because my- I didn't feel like Luke was flying the ship. Until that guy died. My understanding is that the person in the back is running the cable and shooting the cable. Okay. Um, and then the other person is piloting it. Cool. Which would mean Luke is piloting it. Yep. But, um, I mean, at least that's how the video game Battlefront 2 has you do it. I mean, if that's how it is, that's how it is, though. If, yeah. if that's how it is in the video game, I'm sure that's how it is in the movie. I think you also have, like, a turret you can shoot as well in the back. Uh-huh. Um, in addition to the cable gun. Yeah. Just but, curious. Yeah. Um, and Luke crashes, gets out just barely, the thing steps on his ship, and then he shoots a cable up, slices it with his lightsaber, He does and a little legless a action. In, in, what do you mean? Well, in Return of the King, when he's on the Oliphant. Oh, yeah, yeah. Kind of different, but yeah. kind of the same thing. Pretty cool. Yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a great choreographed I just, battle. I love that. In the first movie, we are introduced to Luke, who some people say is a whiny kid uh, who wants to be a rebel, but is not really able to because of his uh, aunt and uncle. But then he is like kind of forced into it. Yeah. Kind of takes up that mantle. And then like this movie happens and it's like he is an expert and he's like the best at it. He's a war hero. He's, He's destined for this. Yeah. I, yeah, that is a nice development. There's, like, so much off screen. And it is nice, too, that, like, you know, the first movie, the whole time they're trying to, you know, Darth Vader's trying to get the plans back. Uh-huh. Um, because they don't want the Death Star to be destroyed. So he's, like, obsessed with finding, like, Leia. Yeah. And all that stuff. Well, she's actually captured, but all that stuff. He, he has no uh, awareness of this Luke Skywalker. Yeah. But because of the events of the first movie, by the time of this one... That's all he can think about is yeah. this this person who has this like powerful aura. 
Yeah. Of Jedi-ness. It's cool. Yeah. Well, he's got a lot of midi-chlorians. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, this whole sequence is crazy. Um, one One thing that is interesting is in the first movie, when they were working on stuff and editing it, George Lucas, before they had the special effects, he would edit in scenes from World War II documentaries of dogfights mm-hmm. to like exemplify what would be played there. Mm. But this movie, they used animatics. And for those who don't know, that's just like a lot of sketches and stuff that that's right. are animated. Yeah. But they're they're fairly rudimentary, but also fairly detailed. They kind of look like black and white comics. Mm-hmm. So when they're when they were editing the movie, they're, you know, they're sending it back to George Lucas. He already knows like how to edit the film. Oh, okay. And I and I think that's why the action is so nice and clear. I think yeah. that's a big part of it. You know, yeah. like The Matrix, they they did that as well. You mm-hmm. know, they hired all those comic book writers and or artists and that's part of why that movie The Action is so clear and and special. Yeah, so this just makes me think with like Marvel movies um because I know that James Gunn storyboards. Yeah. That's how he does his processes. I'm curious how many of the other directors have done that. I would be shocked if that is not if like any movie made in the 21st century is not storyboarded, especially if it's a comic book like, movie. Like like action movie. I'm sure they're all storyboarded. Okay. Just but, curious. But to what degree? Yeah, cuz his scene cuz he like posted a picture of a stack yeah. of papers <laughs> and he was like this is for one scene. Yeah. Or something. It was something crazy. Yeah. I mean, I think storyboarding is pretty normal in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, which I, if I remember right, they developed on Godfather one or two. Like, really? Like the, pro- they developed the process. See our episodes on that. I can't remember which one, but they developed like the process that's pretty much the standard now. Oh. Um, I think. But yeah, I, I would think the movies that their action isn't as good, they probably don't storyboard the action as, as well. It's not as clear on what they want to do yeah. when it t- comes time to, to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Um, so they are defeated, the rebels, but they're able to escape. Yep. Darth Vader also just looks great in a big white area, just mm-hmm. an all-black suit. He pops. Mm-hmm. And he, him and the stormtroopers are at the base, and Han, Leia... Chewie, C-3PO, are running into the Millennium Falcon to try to get out just in time, and they do just in time, uh-huh. but they are hot on their tail. And then Luke <coughs> gets out of Hoth with R2-D2. Yeah. And they go to Dagobah. Yep. <clears throat> yep. Um, and we also learn uh, that Darth Vader has a cool Vader egg that yeah. he like lives in. It's his uh, think tank. <laughs> I mean, that thing is freaking cool. Okay, so th- w- then Han, Leia, and C-3PO are up in space with Chewbacca. Mm-hmm. They've escaped, and they're like, okay, punch it, Chewie, let's go. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's not working. To high, low light speed. Yeah, and so they're in bad news. Like, this is not good. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it it is cool. Like you're saying, earlier in the movie, we're seeing them work on the ship like the whole time and we don't i just assume when i first watch it like oh they're just doing that because that's what they need to do but Mm -hmm. you're you know like the ship is not doing so hot Mm -hmm. you discover and so 
Things are not going well. They're getting chased by these Imperial cruisers. It could be a bad situation. He's maneuvering pretty well, though, mm-hmm. which is fun. Um, but then they enter an asteroid field, mm-hmm. which is like, okay, so you're telling me this movie has an ice planet and an asteroid field, not mm-hmm. to mention a Vader egg? Come on, it's hitting mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. So now we're flying through asteroids. TIE fighters are getting hit. The Imperial cruisers can't go through them. Yep. And then... They land on a giant asteroid. They land on a giant asteroid. And it they're going to be totally fine there, and there's no... No problems at no all. No problems there. Um, They do the thing that we talk about... Uh, that is kind of like established in this that like a good idea for a sequel is you split up your main characters. Yeah. There's so many movies and series that when they do that in the, the sequel, it kind of is a nice way to show different characters having different relationships. Mm-hmm. And develop, forcing each other to develop based on those things. Yeah. Um, and I love in that whole sequence, C-3PO keeps on being like, hey, you know, because he's so annoying, mm-hmm. and he keeps going like, hey, there's something wrong with the, and Han's like, shut up. He keeps on doing it, and then eventually it's like, yeah, the hyperdrive, I noticed it's not working, and it's like jammed. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, I should have listened and that, to And he you. keeps telling them the odds yes, of survival. The asteroids, yeah, how and to get through that's them. that's when Han says, never tell me the odds. Yeah, I mean, come on. It's as good as it gets. Meanwhile, Luke gets to Dagobah. Yeah. And uh, I love, as he gets there, they they have the technology to know there there's no technology on this planet. There are no seemingly no cities or anything like that. Uh-huh. It just seems to be terrestrial or yeah, you know, swampy, swampy. There's so these he, cool like bat creatures that are flying around. Yeah, so he he gets in and he basically crash lands because yeah. he has no idea what he's getting himself into. Yeah, and it's like swampy, filled with reptiles, snakes everywhere, giant lizards everywhere. It looks so. Th- this is my, this might be my favorite location, okay. yeah. in the series. It's really cool. It's really cool, and Yoda's house is freaking. I know awesome. Yoda's house is so cool, but yeah, the swamp is. It's it just feels gross, which I love, mm-hmm. and and the the X wing is insane. It looks so good in it. He's walking around on it. It's it's a x-wing mm-hmm. like it's just there mm-hmm. and they're making it sing and stuff of course r2d2 is like pushed up through a platform which is really cool mm-hmm. and he falls off and he's in the water mm-hmm. okay not good and a giant snake thing gets him <clears throat> yeah and then it shoots him out and then we have what makes one of the best youtube videos ever so he gets shot out and he makes the the craziest sound and someone and you're about on to YouTube hear it. Just play it did a mashup with that sound that's the best (laughs) thing oh so yeah living on a prayer i mean close up shop are we done here i think that's you know wipe our hands get out yeah no um so all of that is great he starts setting up camp and then we get introduced to is this the coolest character in the series maybe probably yeah we get introduced to Jedi Master Yoda. Do you think that when they were writing this movie, character designing for this movie, all this stuff, do you think that any of them had any idea? Like, 
do you think they were like people are going to love this character and he's going to be one of the best like most favorites i because george lucas made the toy deal when he made the first movie Mm -hmm. i think yes yeah I mean, I don't think anyone knows that something will be, like, this big. Because mm-hmm. I, I just don't know that anyone ever thinks, like, oh, yeah, everyone in the world from, like, now until the world dies will know who Yoda is. Uh-huh. I don't know that anyone is, like, that crazy to think yeah. that they'll make something like that. But I think he had to know they had a hit with that. Yeah. Especially with getting um, Frank Oz. Yeah. Who he, he was trying to get... Um, Gosh, what's his name? The the labyrinth guy. Henson. Henson. Jim Henson. But Jim Henson was busy and he was like, Oh, you should use Frank Oz. He's oh, really good. Oh, nice. Because they work together. Yeah. So um I always kind of get mixed up. Um yeah, me if too. it's one or the other. I, I actually I do too. But um it, so w- including Frank Oz, there are four people puppeteering Yoda. That's wild. And w- it's so insane to me. Like, in this first scene, we don't know it's Yoda yet, and Luke doesn't know it's Yoda, and he's just a fun little trickster who's, like, trying to eat their food and throw stuff around, mm-hmm. and he's And steals funny. a flashlight. Still, yeah, and he's just, he's, like, hitting R2 with he his cane. talk backwards as much as uh, we all think he does. <laughs> he, well... <laughs> and that's fine. It's fine. Yeah, I, yeah. I, just, I just realized that. Well, I think... If if I'm remembering right, I think that's really hit hard in the prequels. Like, oh, I think it's like almost everything he says. Oh, is okay, 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 okay. Because like he does do it for sure. Yeah, but not not constantly. Yeah, I I think I I'm remembering an attack of the clones. There being like like I, th- I feel like they're setting like he needs them to set the ship down, and he's like down set the ship. Or uh-huh. something like that, where it's like, okay, that's even that's a little sweaty even for you. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> that's funny. Um, I can't wait to get to that. I know. That's where he bounces all over the walls fighting Count Dooku. <laughs> yeah, I know. Which as a kid, come on. Oh, loved it. As an adult? Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. But Yoda is... The, just the puppeteering is absolutely a miracle. Mm-hmm. Because they do these great things where they'll have him start climbing onto something. And you get his full body. Yeah, and I'm like, how did you do that? And then I think the magic is they cut away like right before it would show. Uh huh. But he's because he's like crouching and like bent over and stuff, and they'll show the movements, but they they don't they they still you see him in movement in the shot instead of them cutting from one movement to a yeah. new movement. <clears throat> yeah. So he really truly looks real. Yeah. And his ears move. Mm-hmm. And his eyes move. Mm-hmm. By the He's way, so cool. I saw this picture, uh-huh. um, and I'm thinking it's real. Um, it just reminds me of Gizmo from Gremlins. Yeah. It was a picture of, <clears throat> and it was showing like, this is how they got his facial expression so detailed. And it was like a giant version of the character. Like how giant like, are we talking? Like giant. You're holding your arms I mean, out like, like three feet. That's what it looked like in the picture. I'm telling that to the audience. Yeah, but that's what it looked like. I did not cross-reference or confirm or anything. Wait, so you're telling me, like, like they use that for close-ups? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Which, hey. I hope I'm right. Perfect time to plug our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Micah McCaw. You can get extra episodes every single month. Uh, where we cover just two movies, mo- sequels, series with only two movies. And guess what? 
we've covered both Gremlin movies. That means that you can hear us talk about Gremlins The New Batch, which is probably one of my favorite sequels. That is a definite better than the original. Yes, yes. In I a, love that movie. And anarchist way. Mm-hmm. I love it so much. Uh, Ron Dagobah, and then we find out that he is, in fact, Yoda. Mm-hmm. And Luke is very impatient. Now, I personally sympathize with Luke a lot I, in this I movie. I totally do, too. I think it all makes so much sense. Because he is just told by a disembodied Obi-Wan, just a voice in his head, go yeah, to Dagobah, yeah, yeah. find Yoda. Uh-huh. So he goes to this planet he's never heard of, and there's no one else to talk to to get help. So he's just trying to see, figure it out. And then this little green creature... The first uh, sentient being he's come across yeah. just starts rifling through his things. Yeah. And he's like, I don't have time for this. I need to be trained. I need to meet this this teacher. Yeah. And it is kind of like just a it does remind me of like um I don't know, like old senseis or something. Like even oh, like that's gotta be in there. Like, like Kill in Bill, the writing. like that that and Kill Bill Two, the yeah. dude, I forget his name. That she that that trains. Yeah, I don't Uma. remember his name either. Like he's very silly too. Yeah, but very serious. Yeah, yeah, and and the see the I love how it's revealed to Luke that it is Yoda because uh-huh. they're back in his hut, and then Yoda keeps looking up. And I'm not gonna do a Yoda voice, folks, but Yoda keeps looking up, and he's like, he's not ready. Mm-hmm. There's too much of his father in him. <laughs> I don't remember him being so much like over and over again like no it's not gonna work i can't do it yeah he's too young or no no, he's saying he's too old he's too impatient but they're like like ben is having a conversation with them yeah and it's like but i was i was i was young when you trained me Mm -hmm. or i was impatient when you trained me which is weird because yoda never trains obi-wan but whatever i think how do we know that well i think george lucas forgot or something Oh, really? Because he's trained by Qui-Gon Jinn. Who's that? Uh, Liam Neeson. Okay. And then Liam Neeson dies, and then he's a Jedi Master. Oh, shoot. Yeah. Uh-oh. Which seems like, how did you miss that? Yeah. And I and I think the easy argument is you can be like, well, he was trained by him just as he was trained by anyone on the Jedi Council. Sure. Like, and he has learned from them. But but I think this movie implies that, that Yoda, like, actually trained him. Yeah. But... I guess in a, an Attack of the Clones, we see Yoda working with all of the younglings. So maybe you can infer that when he first joined, he was taught by Yoda. Sure. I guess. Let's go with it. I don't know. I want it to work. But it is, it, it, looking back, it's like, how come they didn't do that? That, yeah. that would have been cool. Yeah. But, well, they had to get Liam Neeson there somehow. Well, Liam Neeson brings, brings a lot to that role. Mm-hmm. He's one of the, the great things about episode one. Um, nobody's, nobody's mad at Liam in that one. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's too impatient. We can't use him. And I, and I think, cause sometimes in movies when there is like, oh, we, we need to do this thing. And people are like, no, I can't do that. I can't show you that. Or I can't become that hero or whatever. You're just like, come on. But I think since Yoda is so cool looking, you you are you're like I get what he's saying. As yeah. long as I can keep looking at Yoda, I am not being impatient about this conversation. Yep. yep. Um. 
Then we meet the Emperor, our first shot of the Emperor, which is Elaine Baker in that crazy mask. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of a haunting image. Just really great to see. So in the last movie, you know, we find we meet Darth Vader, and he doesn't seem to be the top dog yeah. quite yet, but by the end of the movie, he is. So in this movie, it's like he is the ruler of all. Yeah. But then he has, he even has a master. Uh-huh. But not just of like the empire, but of the dark side. Yes. It's his Yoda. And it's cool. Like the kneeling platform mm-hmm. that, 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 that he's standing on or kneeling on. And then the emperor's like projected pretty large, mm-hmm. which I like. Um, then we cut back to Han, Leia, and they're in the ship. They're checking out repairs and stuff. And then this crazy bat creature hits the windshield. Now, of course, this is after Han and Leia almost... No, they do kiss, they do kiss. and are interrupted by C-3PO, which is always funny. Mm-hmm. And then they go outside, and they're like, oh, my gosh, there's Minox everywhere, and they're shooting these Minox. And then Han is like, wait a second. It's and it all- was really, it's really uh, moist and gross outside. Yeah, and I, the, the sound design in this scene is crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you hear them through their masks, like intercom kind of mm-hmm. sound, and it's going... It's, there, there's a lot of moisture out here and the ground is soft and they're setting you up. It's like, wait, but we're on an asteroid, are we? Mm-hmm. But then he goes, wait a second, and he shoots the ground and then an earthquake starts happening, mm-hmm. they think. And then they run out of their ship, they take off, and they see the cave is closing. That's no cave. And it is monster teeth and it is a space worm that lives Mm -hmm. in an asteroid Mm -hmm. gosh dang that's cool very cool now i want to point out another family guy reference okay in the in the family guy episode five this scene is happening and i just remember i cried laughing i think we i was with shane and i think we watched it like six times in a row and peter griffin is han solo and he goes wait a second and he shoots the ground and everything shakes and he goes Hmm. shoots it again everything shakes and he's like i don't know shoots it again uh, and then he shoots it a fourth time and then he's like okay i think we should leave <laughs> it's funny do they do only the originals or do they have the prequels too they only did the originals man maybe the prequels is too low-hanging fruit for seth mcfarland which is saying something <laughs> well it, maybe we should cover these on patreon someday uh, not anytime soon, but it's kind of interesting because the third one, which is called It's a Trap, um, the whole movie they're talking about how they're contractually obligated to make one more of these, and they don't really want to do it. Oh, weird. And like the opening crawl is like, oh, we have to make this, and we really don't want to do it, and we don't like... We don't really have an interest. It was funny the first time. It was sort of funny the second time. It's not going to be funny oh, this weird. time. But they're like playing into it so much that it's that it works. pretty funny. Okay. And there's also a scene that which I'll mention next week that sticks with me every time I watch Star Wars and makes me giggle. They're pretty funny. Mm-hmm. They're all pretty funny. But but they each are less funny than the previous one. Got it. But anyway, um, then we get the Yoda backpack. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have this action figure. Of Luke. I thought you were about to say you have the Yoda backpack, and I was going to say, where is it? Can we have it now? I have seen that you can get backpacks that have him like sticking out. 
which is very cool. Um, but yeah, I, I got the little action figure with the removable backpack and a cool. removable Yoda. Cool. Um, uh, this is just the coolest. Mm-hmm. And and I think this is the moment when children everywhere were like, I could be a Jedi. And I know I would I would defy you to find anyone that saw this when they were a kid that did not attempt to use the Force every once in a while. Because after I watched this movie, it was like, well, how do I could just do that, right? If mm-hmm. I just think hard enough, I can move rocks. Mm-hmm. And I would stick out my hand mm-hmm. and... And if maybe if I shake it enough, that will <laughs> cause it to happen. Um, and it did happen twice, which was cool, which was really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of them was at a show, too. So that, like, whoa, dude, that really impressed a lot of people. Um, hurt the front row, though, because of what I had moved a rock. It was a well, a very large yeah. rock. Yeah. Um, talk about a rock show, mm-hmm. but um, Ching. So. What do you think about the whole training Jedi montage? It's amazing, and it's one of the best parts of the whole series. Yeah, I love it. You like this movie, don't you? I love this movie. It's probably one of the, it's probably the best one out yeah, of all of them. It is. Um, it because I I have seen this movie a million times, but in a lot of ways, it did feel like I like seeing it for the first time a little yeah. bit. Where it's like cool, cool, cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think this was a scene where I was like, "Hello, Mark." Oh yeah, he's looking good. Yeah. He is looking good in this scene. Yeah. Um I can't even fathom how they puppeteer Yoda in the backpack because he's moving his arms other than and he's, I don't get it's it. It's not a puppet. It's a Oh, like an animatronic. animatronic. There's so many movements it doesn't feel like that's possible. Yeah. But I guess they did it with Gremlins, but the the Gremlins don't look as quite as good as Yoda when no. they're yeah. Uh like connected to someone or yeah. like someone's holding them. Yeah. It's it's truly a feat. Yeah, it is. It's uh, Yoda's a, a, a gorgeous man. But yeah, so he is training Luke, but Luke is still being impatient in ways. And is yeah. is this also the scene where he like the ship sinks? Yep. So his shit what well, what is it called? The next wing. His X Wing sinks and He's like, oh, I can't believe this. I can't get you that thing want out. The impossible. Yeah, and and Yoda just says, "You, you have to believe. That's the only th- yeah. way." And Luke can't do it, but Yoda does it, and it is effing awesome. Cr- I mean, probably eighty percent of that is the score. The score is I know. so unbelievable. And the cherry on top is when he gets it out, brings it over, and Luke says, "I can't believe it." And Yoda says, and that's why you can't do it. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm just like rethinking about that scene now. It's like, so good. Oh. And like the way the camera like moves with the ship mm-hmm. as it's coming out and stuff. It's, it's gorgeous. Yeah. It's so gorgeous. It It's also like, it's just cool thinking about, you know, Yoda in episode one is a puppet. But eventually they scrap it and they replace him with CGI. Oh, really? In like in future versions of the movie. Episode one, episode one? Episode one, episode one. Okay. Yeah, but like when you went to the theaters, he was a puppet. Yeah. Um, and then then he's CGI in the next two movies. But it was so freaking awesome sitting down on, on Last Jedi and Yoda, Ghost Yoda comes and it's a puppet. 
in the last Jedi. But sure, yeah, that's awesome. You don't remember that? <laughs> I only did it one time. Um, it, it's like I just got to say because it's it's so good, and I remember. Well, we'll get into it when we get there. Uh, but when we were seeing it, I was kind of like lose. The movie was losing it a little bit, and mm-hmm. that scene, I was like, "But this scene is still crazy." Because mm-hmm. like Luke wants to get the the Jedi books, mm-hmm. but the, like the the temple that he has them in is on fire. Yep. And, yeah. Okay. And Yoda's like, like it's never about the books or yeah. whatever. You never read those books and stuff like that. And he's like, well, but I still wanted to save him. And he's like, why? And then, then he says some stuff about the force and like, he sends like another bolt of fire down or something. It's, it's something like that, but it's um, so great. So, you know, that the orange character played by Lupita, I don't remember her last name. Yeah. Nyunga or Nyungo. Um, you know how that character sucks. Yes. Uh, yeah. Do you think Maz that the, that Kanata. F- the character would suck fifty percent less if she was practical? Yeah. I yeah. I, I think the design is lacking for me, and I think. But since if it was the same design, yeah. as a puppet, don't even think about it. Honestly, yes. like that's fine. I also think the vocal performance is like absolutely like one of the worst vocal performances. Yeah, I don't like it either. Because it, it just sounds like a little kid being like, I want to talk like my Grammy. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. That was a perfect Maz Kanata. But I do appreciate that she attempted to do a voice instead of just her normal voice, as mm-hmm. most actors do. But why not hire hi, someone who's a voice actor to do it? I don't know. It just felt like an oversight. Yeah. When clearly that is like a, I, like I know it's not a Yoda character, but if you're going to make a character like that, people are going to be reminded of Yoda. Yeah. So why don't you just go the full way? Yeah, with that. She, I remember, it, she was a little jarring in in Force Awakens too because it, it was so practical. And I know there's a ton of CGI in the movie, but like it was, it was weird that her character wasn't. Yeah, I agree. Because like so many characters were practical and things that were like unbelievable practical. And then I was they like, should, you know what they should do? What? You're not going to believe this. <laughs> special edition. Special edition. <laughs> put in a puppet. <laughs> That's funny, Jordan. Um, so then we go to the fear cave. And this is where we find out that Luke's parents were killed in Crime Alley. And the bats come uh-huh. upon him. Uh-huh. And he puts on the cape and cowl. And he is then going to fight the crime of Dagobah. Mm-hmm. Which is actually a pretty peaceful planet. Mm-hmm. But go ahead. What happens in this scene so- for real? What I love about it is him and Yoda are talking and something something happens. Isn't it like Luke's like, did you hear that? Or something like that. And and Yoda's like, he Yoda knows what it is. He's like scraping the ground with his cane like, okay, here we go. This is the time. Yeah, but he is saying like, you know, Luke grabs his, his lightsaber and Yoda says, you will not need it where you're going. Yeah. Even though he uses it. Well, he he's like, I'm going to take it. Well, like, I, like he d- he kind of is like I'm I'm not risking it. Well, but no, but the funny thing is, is he uses it. Oh yeah. But I I don't think I don't think it's exactly like. Like I think he uses it because in this like, it's not a hallucination, but in well in this uh, vision, he has to use it. Yeah. For himself, that's like his choice, and the thing responds to that usage. Even yeah. though it's not really Darth Vader. Yes. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yes. Can I add on to it? I I think that him taking the blade in there is also him taking in his fear and his impatience. Yeah. Whereas if he he didn't bring it, that would be a step toward him like accepting the Jedi way and 
embracing it and yeah. maybe he would have a completely different vision yeah or or he would figure out how to defeat this darth vader vision in a way that didn't require a weapon yeah so yeah prior to that yoda said that he would be tempted by the dark side like yeah. every jedi is he kind of that's kind of how it feels yeah um you will be tempted to go to that side and it is full of like cutting corners uh-huh do going the easy way to get what you want when like the Jedi way is not for violence. It's for defense kind of typical. Yeah. Not typical, but what, what we know of, of like martial arts, classic um, ideas. Yeah. Did you, did you say that he cuts off the head? No. Okay. Yeah. He, he fights the Darth Vader vision, cuts off the head, the face, the helmet like explodes and he sees his own face. Uh huh. Now, when I was a kid, I could not grasp what this scene was about. Uh-huh. <laughs> now I I understand it, and I I that's like his future to come if he chooses the dark side. Um, but I I always thought when I was a kid, and I think my dad even said this that it's like no, that's because it's her, like his dad is Darth Vader, and that's why it's his face because it's like his dad and him, which also works. Mm-hmm. Um, but I that's not quite as poetic as I think the. And metaphorical as I think no, it's trying I th- to be. I think that because they do a similar thing with Ray. Yeah. And I, I think that is even clearer uh-huh. what what this whole thing is. Yeah. Um but then we see bounty hunters on the Imperial cruiser that Darth Vader is sending to find the Millennium Falcon, which we hadn't mentioned, but it is hiding on the millennium on the cruisers. Mm-hmm. And Darth Vader kills one of the ships that lost him. Okay. Um, but it's not the same. Love guy. it. It's yeah. so inventive. Um, yeah, having the Millennium Falcon parked on the cruiser too is is like it's so striking to look at. Mm-hmm. It's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the bounty hunters are crazy looking. Yeah, and we only get one of them. <clears throat> yeah, which is Boba Fett, mm-hmm. the the person that I guess everyone is obsessed with or was which we'll get into once we get there um and then boskin i believe is his name the the how did you describe him he looked like a lizard and a cat yeah he's cool Mm -hmm. uh there's the like i-88 i think um and that's like the the skinny pole robot Mm -hmm. which i i think in mandalorian i i think there's I don't think it's the same. But it's like a version of that robot. Yeah, but it might be because he's a bounty hunter. I think it's the same character. And Taika Waititi does the voice. Cool. And it's really cool to see him in action. Where does Mandalorian take place timeline-wise? After six, before seven. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Like, the the there are still, like, shadows of the Empire. Okay. And it's still spread out a little bit. And now it's gaining momentum for... You know the 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 first order. I think is the what it's called in the sequel movies. Don't do this to me right now. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Um, Boba Fett follows the Millennium Falcon through the garbage, and then they set their sights for Bespin, the city in the clouds, which we're gonna meet Lando Calrissian. Yeah, boy, does that guy have? Is he just beautiful? Mike He's and I were commenting man. on how he just the outfit's great. The hair's great. The face is great. Yeah. The voice is great. The voice is so smooth. Love it. Billy D, come on. Yeah. This guy. 
Um, yeah, I I love that his introduction. Mm-hmm. You know, Han's like, yeah, he's a friend, and she says, would you trust him? He's like, no, I wouldn't trust him, but he I would I would trust him not to like like he doesn't like the Empire, uh-huh. so they're fine. Mm-hmm. Pulls up and then he goes, "You no good, dirty, rotten scoundrel." Mm-hmm. And then he he makes like he's gonna fight Han, and then he and then he gives him a hug and he's like, "How you doing?" Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> it's pretty good. the best. Uh-huh. And I love that C three PO's in the back and he's like, "Ooh, this guy seems very interesting," <laughs> I and I love him. And then he doesn't even respond to the droid. And then, no, oh, how rude. I know. Yeah. And then and then he sees Leia and he's like, "What do we have here?" Mm-hmm. And kisses her uh, ar- uh, uh, hand, mm-hmm. and she's suspicious of him. Moment one, mm-hmm. she's like, "I don't like this guy." Yeah. Now, what I love, and it, maybe it's just super obvious, but I just love that that Lando is. This is the version of Han Solo that goes straight. Yes. Cleans up his act. Cleans up his act, but it's like you can tell that Lando beneath the surface. Yes, he's saying like, "Oh, it's really successful. We have a great mining community. Oh, you know, it pays the bills. I'm responsible now." He doesn't want that. And he was the previous owner of the Millennium Falcon. Yes, he was. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's like he. This is not what he actually wants. He wants to be out there, like smuggling. He wants to be a pirate. He wants to do that. Mm-hmm. And so, in the next movie, when he gets to like command the Millennium Falcon again, it's like. That's what he wants to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that. Lando is is such a fantastic character. Yeah, he's great. And I understand his motives for teaming with the Empire. Yeah. And, and I love that right away when the deal, this deal's getting worse all the time, he's like, okay, like I gotta I gotta abandon ship on this deal and mm-hmm. help help. I gotta, I gotta risk it all now. Yeah. Um, and then what's even better with the writing is they're not like, oh, okay, cool, we get it. Chewie tries to kill him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know I'm kind of jumping but, ahead. But, but once they get there, pretty immediately C-3PO yeah. gets blown to bits. Yeah. And and Chewie, like, gathers him. Yeah. After th- these little, um, like, uh, uh, smelters or oh, something. Oh, yeah, he goes to, like, the basement. <laughs> yeah. And they're, like, throwing he's looking his head for around. Him. I think they asked, like, Chewie, go look for C-3PO. Yeah. And they... Yeah, they're going to like incinerate, they're like looking through parts, incinerating things, and he finds C-3PO, puts him in a box, and rescues him. And then and then the rest of the movie, he's trying to like fix C-3PO. He's putting it back together. He puts his head on backwards, which is just hilarious. <laughs> well, as a kid, and even now, I get so mad at C-3PO. He's shown some humanity this movie, and then... Chewie goes and helps him, and he's like, you bumbling, hairy idiot, why is my head on backwards? I'm like, dude, he's helping you out. But that's who the character is. Well, I mean, that's the that's that's how fun the movie is, and mm. the writing, where every time I get caught up, not in like, oh, they sh- I wish they wrote it this way, or something like that, where I'm like, dang it, C-3PO, like, be grateful to Chewie. Yeah, right. Because I'm so invested in it. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, Luke has a vision that Leia and Han are in pain and might die. Mm-hmm. And Yoda's like, it, it's probably a vision from the future. 
And then Luke says, I got to go. I got to go now. But yeah. Yoda is trying to convince him the future changes all the time. It's yeah. not set in stone. And it's that I love <clears throat> that concept because it's like, is it Luke by Luke going there that puts them in danger of the pain and I the, know. The, the suffering and stuff? Or is it? Or will that happen and he should go? Yeah. All that. Yeah. Um, but he is like, I got to go save my friends. And Yoda is really trying hard to convince him, like, you have to complete your training. Obi-Wan shows up. I And that's such a beautiful moment. Mm -hmm. Like, and I, I, is that the first of the, like, ghost? Yeah, that's, like, the first ghost, force ghost. I think it is. And it's such a great effect. It's so it cool. It looks great. Yeah. And I, I love that, like, that never really, I mean, right at the very end when Luke is, like, leaving, leaving, I mean, Yoda is, like, just stay true to the force. Don't. Yeah. Like you are going to to be tested and tempted. This is like the ultimate test, I guess. But yeah. the whole time they're like begging him not to leave. I know. And kind of like if if they do die, that's I don't know, it's like that's fate. That they 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 knew you know, it's almost like they knew the risks. They they died for the cause. Yeah. You have to let them make their choice. And so what do you think would have happened had Luke not shown up? Well, either way, Lando sold them out. Yes. So either way, they were getting captured somehow. Yeah. So, so like I like either way, Han was going to be taken to Java. Yeah. And then, but I know that Vader's all his motivations are Luke. Yeah. So I think he they Lando sells them out to Vader, and Vader's like, "Well, I'll get them, and then I'll get Luke through them somehow." Yeah. So I think it's I'm not I'm not sure. I think at some point Luke would just be involved. Yeah. I don't I, I mean I I would wonder how much training he had left cuz maybe maybe Vader would just wait it out with Leia up in Bespin and mm -hmm. then Luke would show up and be like I'm trained. Mm -hmm. I, I and I defeat you now. Right. Maybe that's the difference. Right. Um but either way they have to go get Han back. Yeah. Sounds like. Yeah. Um and then we have my favorite shot of the entire movie. And that is, it's framed with Yoda in the bottom right, Obi-Wan in the background to the left, and he starts his X-Wing. It's dark, and... Obi-Wan disappears during this shot. Yeah, well, it starts with both of them, and then the, then the lighting changes, and when it changes, it goes black, and then the lighting changes, and Obi-Wan says something... Um, like he said, he says he's our only hope. What will we do if he fails, or something to that effect? And then it it blanks, and then Obi Wan's gone, and Yoda says there is another, and he's talking about Leia. Yeah, and that shot and the lighting changing from the red to blue, I think. Yeah, and and just like white, a white light. It's it is so gorgeous. Yeah, it's great. And it's you know so what? Great. George Lucas isn't directing that shot. I tell you what. Yeah. Love the guy. You're welcome on the pod anytime, George. We know that. We we have all this debt for you. Or debt to you because mm -hmm. we love this thing. You can also pay off our debt. Or, you know. Yeah. Pay off the house. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you, George. <laughs> Thanks for becoming a patron. <laughs> Top tier, too. Um. So, yeah. Oh, the boy is our last hope is what he says. And he says, no, there is another. Mm -hmm. Then... Uh, Darth Vader's in like this dining room and 
Han Solo does not hesitate. He immediately gunslinger pulls out his gun and shoots Darth Vader, and Darth Vader puts out his hand and stops the bullets. I know. I love, one, that he stops bullets. That's cool. And then, two, I think it's great that Han Solo did not even hesitate mm-hmm. when he came into the face of, like, the darkest force on the galaxy. He was mm-hmm. like, I'm going to kill him. Yeah. I don't care. And then Darth Vader's like, come and join me, basically. Mm-hmm. Then what they're going to do is they're going to put him in carbonite. Well, before that, they, like, torture him. Oh, yes. Yeah, let's talk about that first. So they, like, put a heck Is that machine also in the new trilogy or something similar to it? Oh, with Ray? Yeah, right? Maybe. Or something like it. Oh, let's try to remember that, but I don't know if we let's will. Let's try. <laughs> um, I am interested what that was and what the purpose was because later on when Han gets back... He said that they didn't even ask him any questions. I know. I just think it's evil, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, they didn't even ask him questions. He looks so brutalized and like, so not brutalized, but like no expression on his face. He's, he's yeah. totally devoid of any energy. And then Lando shows up to yeah. like give him the lowdown. I think that's when he says that Han, you'll be taken to Jabba. Leia and Chewie, you'll stay here. Yeah, basically. he like cut a deal with him. Yeah, and um, that's when Han punches him. Yeah, like he betrayed us. Um, and then go on with what you were gonna say. So then the carbonite chamber. Yeah. So we go to the carbonite cha- chamber. Beautiful set, uh, orange and blue. Yeah, it's great. Uh huh. And they have this freezing thing, and they're like, "Hey, I want." Darth Vader's saying, hey, I want to free somebody so that I can take them back to the Emperor. Why well, he's he's gonna do it for to Luke. But that's, he needs Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Okay. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Somebody. Go ahead. Oh, oh. <laughs> um, but uh Lando says you can't do that. That's not for living things. Like it might kill them. And he says that's why we're gonna test it on Han first. Yeah. And then I like Boba Fett is like, I need him alive. That's the bounty yep. is he's yep. he needs to be alive. And Darth Vader's pretty much like yeah, I'm going to test on him anyway, because I'm Darth Vader. Right. Um, so then he gets put onto the platform, and he, he tells Chewie, you're going to have to take care of Leia now. The music is swelling. It's very emotional. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely fantastic. He's put there, and then Leia is being held by Chewbacca, and she says, I love you. And he says, I love you too. And then they mm-hmm. go, cut. They go, try it again. He's like, I love you too. And they keep trying it, and they're just like, this isn't working. And then Harrison Ford says, I just don't think Han Solo would say this. Yeah. I don't think it's working because I don't think that's his character. Yeah. And so then Irving says this. Irvin. Irvin. Oh, my gosh. Um, so they, they did a ton of takes. And then he says, quote, Harrison, don't think about it. Just go. Ah, okay. So it is improvised, but after they did a bunch so of takes. Many takes, I didn't know that. And then, <laughs> uh, and then he says, "I know." And that is, I and mean, everyone on set got goosebumps. Yeah. Well, it, yeah. It sounded like Kirshner was pretty much like, and then once he did that, we were like, "Okay, we got it." Yeah. Yeah. That's it's, awesome. I, I think about like. I mean, this this scene is not as iconic for sure, but but you know, 
when they're reshooting stuff for Endgame and they're just like, that's just not hitting. What should we do? And then Robert Downey's like, what if I say I am Iron Man? And then they do it and it's like, how was there a version of this that he didn't say I, I know. am Iron Man? Is, I couldn't remember. Is that a thing that Iron Man says? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I, th- I think... I don't know how often he says it, but like the first movie ends with him stepping forward and saying, I am Iron Man. Yeah. To everyone. Yeah. So like the last thing he says yeah. in that, I mean, come on. <laughs> I got goosebumps. I know. I love that movie. Um, so then Luke shows up mm-hmm. and they have a duel. Mm-hmm. What did you think of the duel after 40 years? What do I we thought think? it was great, especially compared to the last one yeah. um, with Obi-Wan and it's not great and that's fine. Yeah, um, sign of the times. Yeah, this one, uh, it with those better choreographed. They're zipping and zamming around, zooming. There, yeah. There's a lot more like force powers. Like Luke jumps really fast into the air, and uh, Han, Darth Vader, like floats down a platform and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's really yeah. I cool. love. I love too. Like you know, Vader. Although he is on the dark side, he is much more uh, master of his domain. Yeah. So he is much more graceful. And in control. Wait, when you say master of his domain, are you saying like he's winning in the contest with Seinfeld? <laughs> no, but yes. Um, okay, cut that, cut that, cut that, cut that. No. <laughs> um, but Luke is like, I'm losing my voice. Luke says that? <laughs> no, I'm losing my voice. Still sick, guys. <laughs> Luke um, is like falling He's like barely getting out of the way in the nick of time on things and yeah. struggling and falls out a window. Yeah, he's he's definitely out of his league. Mm-hmm. Um, he, there's no chance. Yeah. And then he gets pushed to the bridge. And, and I think what I do find interesting is I noticed that when we get to the bridge, Darth Vader, he starts going out of control. He's swinging his blade around and stuff in a way that like, like before he was very much in control, but I think he's also like, I didn't realize that this would, this would be this hard. And, and in the bridge, if you notice, he, he starts getting a little, I mean, I think that's like the anger of the dark side, you know, he's, he's starting to get crazy, but then then he he changes his tune. Yes. And he's like, join me, join the dark side. After he chops off his hand, after he chops off his hand and Luke says, no, I'll never join. I'll never. And then, does he does Vader say something about his dad or he's like you killed my father? Yes, he does say that. And, and he says, "No, I am your father." And that's one of the greatest twists in movie history. And it history. cuts to Mark Hamill with like one of the best expressions of anguish I've ever seen on yeah, a person yeah. to the point where to me it looks a little cartoony. Yeah. But that's no! not on him. It's awesome. It is. It's fantastic, and and for anyone who either forgot or didn't listen to last week's episode, um, for me the first time I watched this, my dad had already ruined that twist because when Darth Vader entered in Star Wars, and once I saw Luke and stuff, he explained to me, uh, "Oh yeah, that that guy in the big black costume, he is Luke's father." I feel like that <laughs> is similar. I don't think I. I don't know for sure. Yeah. I just feel like I've always known that. Yeah. I don't feel like that was a twist for me either. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, because when you are was. a kid, you do ask a lot of questions. So yeah. I wonder how much of it's like, wait, 
you know, because I, I, what am I like four or five? Am yeah. I like, am I like, Dad? What is that guy like? What does he do? How, how does he like relate to all of this? Uh-huh. You know, of course, I have yeah, very thoughtful yeah, questions wow, like that. Really critical thinking. <laughs> like, what kind of themes does he represent yeah. as a character? Yeah. Um, is this some sort of allegory for the Vietnam War, perchance, <laughs> or like the Studio Hollywood system at the time in the seventies? My dad's like, okay, better buy him some mics. Oh gosh. <laughs> um. Oh yeah. Also, Vader's blade releases slowly, which is cool. Yeah. I love that. Um. But then Luke, instead of choosing the dark side and joining his father to rule the galaxy, father and son, he jumps down. And this is the first time in a Star Wars series where someone jumps off of something too high to survive, and they survive, which sets a precedent for every character that falls off anything is able to live. <laughs> Um, it always works for me in this one, though. Yeah. And then he's shot down this little tube. He's already flown out of down so many things, so I'm not holding my breath. Yeah. Um, and then he's on like this antenna, like at the bottom of the city. Yeah, that's so. That is so anxiety. Every time I watch it, I I'm like riddled with anxiety. Uh-huh. Like, and this is so sweet. Yeah. So, uh. Han has been frozen. He's taken away by Boba Fett. Lando, Leia, Chewie, and C-3PO barely make it out in time on the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. And they're flying away. They're free. And Luke is underneath the city, has no idea what to do. Yeah. And he is calling out for Leia. Leia, hear me. And she, there's just, she has a really great look on her face. Yeah. Of that um, zoning out because she's hearing it. And she, they got to turn back. They got to get Luke. Yeah. And they and, get him. And like, now you see the seeds planted for, I mean, I don't know if he had for sure like, oh, I want her to be his sister, but, but the, the, that she is the other hope. Uh-huh. Um, because she's like force sensitive we're seeing now. Uh-huh. Um, so then they rescue Luke. They're getting out and it's still like, wait. They're still being chased. How are they going to get out of this? And then they're able to finally fix the hyperdrive. Mm-hmm. And then they go into light speed for the first and only time in this whole movie. Mm-hmm. And then they get with the rebel base. They The rebels that are in space, they get with them. Luke gets a new hand, mm-hmm. which is cool. Mm-hmm. And the guy's like pricking his hand and it's moving. And mm-hmm. the, the, the like prosthetics or whatever that look really good animatronics yeah yeah oh i suppose they could even the hand is probably animatronic no i don't i think that was his hand how would you i don't know i don't know but i really think that that was his hand okay either way yeah because yeah anyway just very very cool looking. yeah um and then it's like okay that's the middle chapter of this saga mm-hmm. it's over mm-hmm. half of it's over mm-hmm and it, it makes a lot of sense. George was smart about this. He describes it as the trilogy is three acts. And so, because, you know, th- there was, like, we talked about some criticisms that it was dark at the time, uh-huh. you know. Um, so the first one is, like, your introductory act. And then the second act of, of anything is, like, your heroes get into, like, the worst possible situation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it ends a little unresolved. Mm-hmm. So then the third act is, like, where they become triumphant. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at it that way, not that I think anyone who's listening to this is, like, actually 
I think Empire Strikes Back is too dark. <laughs> yeah, right. But I think we did it. Yeah, this movie's good. It's so good. But my voice broke because I'm losing it. Yeah. Guess well, that's time to wrap it up. Yeah, next week it is. I it's either Fantastic Beast three <sighs> or it's Return of the Jedi. Or we just had Fantastic Beast 3. Let me look it up to make sure. Oh, no. Huh? Oh, no, I got it wrong. We did we did Fantastic Beasts like a month ago. Um, and we were royal, royally surprised. By yeah, it. Hope, it was so good, maybe? Yeah. Um, no, last week we did Doctor Strange. Ah. Oh, and and three days ago we had our three year anniversary and talked about Scott Pilgrim versus the uh, World. So next week it's Return of the Jedi. Have fun. See you then. Bye. I know. <laughs> <laughs>